Hey everybody, welcome to the Sabjits Podcast. This is episode number 20. In this episode, I spoke with my friend Larry Mylon. Larry is a retired law enforcement, and at the time of his retirement, he was the police chief in West Long Branch, New Jersey. I met Larry through acting, and through the podcast, we spoke a little bit about acting and the entertainment industry, and we also spent some time talking about uh, current events and just wanted to get his perspective on some of the things that are going on right now. I hope you enjoy. Abby. Hey, Rich. How are you doing, man? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. You know, I thought you were a lot younger than that. I appreciate that even more. It's your life. (laughs) It's your lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Try try and stay healthy and young, you know. So how's everything going with you? Good. My, uh, My niece had a baby last night. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. But she's down in Florida. So Susie's going down to uh, visit on Tuesday. No. Hope you stay safe down there. Oh yeah, it's um, it's kind of tricky during all this. So no been? It's it's been rough because you know we gyms aren't opening. Yeah, I, I was just able to start doing personal training again, which is where I made the bulk of my money. So how do you do that? You- well, it's it's a, a little studio. It's just me and the guy who owns it. Uh, we're we're alternating so that there's never more than two people in the place at the same time. Uh, we we have a, a big fan that we keep going, a big uh, bay door we keep open. You know, I just started again this week, so I got, at least I could start making making a living again. You know, so um, one of the the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, other than I like you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're retired law enforcement, right? And um, we're, we're, we're in a time right now. And uh, I, I've, I've been speaking to, I've been trying to speak to people um, on both sides of the coin at this point. You know, and I haven't spoke to anybody in law enforcement yet. I was supposed to speak with somebody, but it got postponed. So I, I spoke with a, a couple of my friends who I've known for a long time, who are, who are black men growing up in, in you know, in this climate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spoke to another friend of mine who's, I think you may know him. Um, uh, his name is Andre. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's a uh, he's a journalist, and he's been covering a lot of the uh, Black Lives Matter rallies in Dover, Delaware, down in that area. And me and him spoke a couple days ago, and I wanted to get someone else on who who you know who comes from the other side of the coin. And, and you know, you're a white man, you're a retired law enforcement, so I just kind of wanted to get you know your take on things that are going on right now. I'm I'm very pro law enforcement, always have been. Um, I'm trying to look at both sides of it and 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 see points from every angle. Well, you know, one of the things that that occurs to me is something you just said, you know, one side of it and pro-law enforcement and pro-police and everything. You know, as far as my lineage goes, I I grew up in a, a town in New Jersey here, which was basically still is at least 98% white. When I was growing up, I had little to no exposure or experience to people of color until I went to uh, high school because I went to Red Bank Regional High School. So the sending districts to Red Bank Regional High School, the other towns weren't as predominantly white as the town where I grew up. Anyway, the, the point of bringing that up is you would think, for me anyway, that growing up that way, that I would have a slant about people of color, which is, you know, that's the moniker everybody uses now instead of saying, you know, black people or whatever they to to use that all encompassing people of color thing. But anyway, for me, it kind of had the opposite effect. In other words, rather than the 
the ethnocentricity that you might have expected from me. I went into high school and I went into the rest of the world and the rest of my life looking at people as people first and then fill in the blank, whatever they are. And and that became, too, cornerstone for me anyway of my tenor in law enforcement. But that kind of addresses another issue that, that resonates for me about what's going on now. It seems that rather than some of the some of the efforts that were, you know, emphasized more in the past about unity were being driven in the opposite direction, which it, to me, it just just stands in the face of reason to to drive a wedge further and deeper and wider between everybody. It doesn't really make sense. Now, as far as law enforcement goes and what's going on with, with cops and what, what used to be referred to as the minority community, now referred to as the you know people of color, it's not, my, the, my view on it, and you may know this from all of my mind gum posts and everything else, that it seems to me that broad brush anything is is what we're being pushed toward right now, rather than look at and examine and perhaps even judge or condemn the actions of everybody as opposed to just the individuals. You know, the, we're, we're being, to, like, for instance, I mean, the thing with, with cops and the, and the black community, especially in people of color right now, it's not, it's not all or nothing. It's like it, to say cops need to be retrained cops need to do this, cops need to do that, is as bad to me, for me, as saying blacks need to do this or blacks should be held responsible. That's absurd. We're not, you remember, remember that I always make this analogy. You remember the, uh, the TV show, uh, Battlestar Galactica? I remember it. I, I never watched it, but I the do bad guy. It. The point of the, the point of it is the bad guys. That that show came out at a time where there was a an, a drive to try to minimize violence on TV, but because it was a space combat thing, there had to be shoot 'em ups. You know, so the way they got around it was the bad guys were actually robots. So they weren't people. So it was okay to blow one of these robots into little pieces because it wasn't a person. Dehumanizing something can justify victimizing something. And that, to me, is universally wrong. Police. Police, 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 we hear right now. As if they all come out of the same mold. They're not people first. And the same thing with, you know, the people of color and everything else. It, it does a tremendous disservice to everybody. And in particular, the, the um, I don't know, the cause, the, the purpose of whatever a movement is to, to just broad brush the other side. That's why going back to initially what you said earlier about, you know, one side or the other, I don't think it serves any purpose for there to be a side. It shouldn't be cops against blacks and blacks against cops. And, you know, the flavor of the day a little while ago was Muslims and everything else. So just broad brush, everybody is just stupid to me. So I agree, I agree with you 100%. I mean, you see my, fa- you, you see my Facebook posts and right. I, I've, I've said it several times, you know, you need to be able to open your mind and, and listen to people and every, yeah. everyone needs to listen. From what I can tell, I, I don't think, I think part of the problem is cops are being generalized and I think part of that problem is because I, I feel the overwhelming majority of cops do it for the right reason. Uh, I think where the problem comes in is cops who turn a blind eye when they know something's going wrong. And I also understand why a lot of cops do that because I've heard you know horror stories about people who have tried to 
bring to light certain things, you know? Are you aware of the mechanics behind some of that? I'm not, no. The, uh, you know, my, my wife tells me all the time, Susie always says, you know, that I had to tell this to more people because the perception of police unity and cohesion is skewed a little bit. Naturally, anytime any group of people is involved in a, uh, a, a venture that exposes them to danger, they have a choice. They can either band together and survive or separate and die. So that, you know, whether it's soldiers or cops or firemen or anything like that, cohesion can be a lifesaver. That said, you know, we talk about the fact that I was a police officer and I retired in 2016. I retired as a chief of police. And my experience, therefore, in law enforcement, uh, I mean, there's lots of chiefs of police, but when you become the chief executive officer of a law enforcement agency, you become acutely aware of some of the intricacies of accountability and responsibility. And what people don't know is, and I'm speaking from my experience here in New Jersey, there are a there is a network, a web of uh, accountability measures for law enforcement in New Jersey. Attorney general guidelines, prosecutors' directives, the law statutes, regulations, what used to be called internal affairs is now in some areas referred to as professional responsibilities. The guy or girl, depending on who it is, who sits in that chief law enforcement executive seat is accountable for all of that. So in other words, let's say Rich is one of my cops. Rich does something that violates one of the myriad of things that uh, the standards that the world, you know, in law enforcement is held accountable for. It's literally my butt or yours. So now I'm the chief or even extrapolate that out to uh, or extend that out to a captain or a lieutenant or a sergeant or a supervisor. It's built into the regulations that and practices that if a supervisor is aware of the inappropriate or illegal actions of an officer, it's his fault too. Therefore, Somebody like me, like when I was chief, I retired at 34 years on the job. I was not prepared, nor would I have sacrificed three and a half decades of law enforcement service because a 22-year-old cop didn't know how to control himself. So, and, and unfortunately, in my uh, tenure, I had to, not for, you know, things that we're talking about right now, but I had to uh, fire and dismiss police officers for violating the rules. And the reason that you do that is if you don't understand the quasi-military structure of a law enforcement agency, just understand self-preservation. Understand that a chief, a captain, a lieutenant, a sergeant is not going to throw their career out the window to protect the irresponsible actions of a 22-year-old, 25-year-old, 30, 35-year-old, whatever it is. It's just, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen the way people perceive that it happens. You know, that the cops all band together and they protect the illegal and, and violent activities of an officer. No. Does it happen? Obviously it does. I mean, we see it primarily, in my opinion, primarily it happens in, in the, the larger departments, which predominantly exist in urban environments, you know, for, because of the need, you know, you have, I mean, my, my police department was soup to nuts, 30 people. What's New York? I mean, or Minneapolis or LA or whatever. I mean, there's proportionally speaking, there's an enormous amount of officers, which if you understand math, which I know we do a little bit, you know, it's, it, it, 
it just stands to reason that you're going to have more guys or girls making mistakes and therefore being held accountable. Do they slip through the cracks? Absolutely. And I think, and what I like to see is the supervisors being held responsible. Like, do you remember a few years ago, there was a, a detective, I want to say it was in Arizona or New Mexico, was in, uh, in the Southwest. He got into a physical confrontation with a nurse he wanted her to draw blood and everything, and he got and for whatever the case was he was working on. And he, as you're supposed to do, he called a supervisor. What do I do? Supervisor, who was a lieutenant, said, "Lock her up." You know, kind of an aggressive kind of arrest took place, and the detective, to a degree, rightfully so, came under a lot of scrutiny, and people were calling for him to be fired. And and me, <laughs> I was like, uh, "What about that lieutenant?" And yeah. sure enough, they got rid of him because you can't. You can't sit in an office somewhere and just make these sweeping decisions and not understand that you own that. So, so there's a lot of, I guess, you know, full circle, there's a lot of accountability that goes on in law enforcement that by virtue of the uh, rules around it, nobody knows about. Like internal affairs investigations are not public, can't share it. So, you know, it's, it's like my baby pigeon thing I say all the time. You know, nobody ever sees a baby pigeon, but they got to be there. IA investigations and accountability and, uh, you know, in my area, it's affectionately referred to as guardian tracking because after the program that is used to track, you know, disciplinary actions and everything, all that stuff happens all the time, but nobody knows about it because you're not allowed to share it with the public. Now, can, can you understand though that like when, when people see, like I'm going to use for instance, because it's, it's very recent in Buffalo when... There, during the protest when there there was the the, old man. the officers were coming in and the one guy pushed the guy and then right. he went to go help him back up. The other right. guy pulled him away and those two officers were suspended and then like the entire police force backed them up on it. So things like that, like when, um, I don't know if they, what, what eventually ended up happening, but it said something like 60 officers were either resigning or called in sick that night or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact specifics of it. Right. And and then they, they there was a, I guess there was a hearing and they all showed up at the court and they applauded them when they came out. When people see something like that, can you understand the perception? Oh, of course. Of it. Yeah. Of course. But I, but I will say this, you know, and it, it might sound like a typical retired cop thing to say. We, and I include myself there now because I'm retired. I'm not in it anymore. We, the public, never know the whole story. What I mean by that, and that's not to excuse the conduct, but you, or at least the conduct that you see or you were made aware of, through, whether of it's through you know, the media or social media or whatever. The nature of the, of the whole beast is that you never really know the whole story. So you don't know, I don't know, because I, you know, I, I, like you, I mean, I was aware of that incident. I didn't look into it because, you know, it, it's like, I think you'll agree with me. It's always, it's, it's like, it could be the same story with a different headline, depending on where you read it. So I'm like, I, you know, all right, fine. So they, they shoved the guy and somebody got in trouble and good, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done that, you know. But we still never know. We still never know the whole story. And we're spoon fed depending on from what direction it comes from, what they want us to know, you know, and I was in that position, you know, as, as a cop, even before I was a chief. I was responsible for press releases. Uh, I was a public information officer. So it was, it was weird in that position because you can't, you can't tell the press everything. And because you can't tell them everything, they can't help but put a spin on it because they, they fill in the holes and the gaps with assumptions and everything else. 
one one of my favorite things to say is that I had a I had a couple of relationships with people in the in, in journalism who back when it was journalism I could tell them the whole story I could tell them everything and say yeah but here's the th- here are the things you can't say and here's why I wasn't technically supposed to do that but what it did was it gave them the truth so that they didn't have to fill in with assumptions so and and those kind of reporters are are few and far between because you know a lot of them if they find out the truth they're doing, they're going to they're going to they're going to tell everybody everything and it ruins everything, including the investigation and people's lives and, and everything else. So. Of course. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this question. So you got you got Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. And it's being it's being counter protested with well, well, it started off all lives matter, then switched to blue lives matter. And I guess depending on where you look, everyone's got a different take on it. Don't you think maybe addressing the issues rather than counter protesting, it would be a little bit more productive. So like, instead of saying, well, you know, all lives matter. Okay. There's clearly, there's clearly a problem. There's clearly a problem and and there's been for all the time and there's going to be probably long after we're gone. Instead of saying, well, you know what? Yeah. Well, my life matters too. You're we, we realize that, but there, there seems to be an issue where, you know, if you're, if you're a, a minority, a person of color, you're a little bit more at risk in a lot of situations. So rather than saying, yeah, black lives matter, but so do blue lives, so do white lives, so do yellow yeah. lives and red lives. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Black lives matter. Let, let's get to the root of this problem. Don't you think that would be a little bit more productive than what we're seeing right now? Yes. Um, and I'll tell you, you and I know each other from the entertainment industry. And you and I know that most of the people in the entertainment industry are are, are not right of center, which is fine. You know, and I, and I, I, I have so many friends who are at just about every pin on the map politically, but I really enjoy some of my people in the entertainment industry. And I, and one of the, one of the producers, and, and he's also a director sometimes that I've worked with and I worked with him recently too, even in all this pandemic, he and I had a discussion about Black Lives Matter. And my uh, typical Larry (laughs) view of the whole thing is I think that there was a marketing shortfall here. In other words, people, when they heard, even I, you know, when I first heard the the Black Lives Matter, and I think that the clenched fist didn't help. But when I heard it, I, I, I recoiled a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute. But then what I realized was, to, in my opinion, it's a simple marketing flaw. And that is the black, in my opinion, uh, most of the people who pure of purpose support Black Lives Matter, they support it because it arose from a notion that because of certain things, black lives did not matter. Therefore, their real statement, what I interpreted was black lives do matter. And if you think about it, inserting, and even if you don't do it in, ver- in in words, if you do it in your mind and you say, black lives do matter, to me, it, it, it takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of people who feel that they have to, you know, go to the, run to their respective corner, you know, ice cream lives matter, balloon lives matter. I mean, they just, just keep going and run all the way out to, to everything. But, but of course, all that said, I think what happened with you know, from my own standpoint with Black Lives Matter was that that simple, noble statement and, and sense to move in the direction to make people aware that Black Lives do matter. Other people hijacked an otherwise good movement 
and now they've turned it into, I mean, a lot of what I'm seeing is credited to, to BLM has nothing to do with <laughs> ra- ra- racial anything. I mean, it's, it's just destruction and robbery and rape and murder. And, and it's just, and, and granted, I mean, I know I have friends. I have, I have, there's one friend in particular I think about whenever all these things come up. He's a black guy uh, married to a white woman. I think the world of this guy. Um, I've learned a lot from him about what it is to be a, a, a black man targeted for being black. You know, remember I said before I grew up in a white community, so you know I I, I didn't see a lot of that. So I a lot of that was just out of my head. I didn't I you know that can't possibly be happening. And this guy who I trust implicitly, he 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 and I sat down one day and we had a really long discussion about this. And I learned so many things that that really were nauseating about things that had happened to this educated, attractive, articulate, wonderful, humorous person, because somebody somewhere didn't take into account any of those things about him and judged him purely because of what color he was. Which I mean, it, it made my blood boil to 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 hear that and to understand that that so, that anybody would treat him like that. So that opened my my eye my mind to to a lot of this. And he is one of those people who is naturally uh, a Black Lives Matter organizational supporter. And what makes me angry about that is that that organization seems to have been hijacked for so many other, there's no other way to put it, nefarious purposes. It now cheats my friend and the the, the millions like him mm-hmm. out of having a responsible organization to stand up for him. You know what I mean? So that, I have an interesting, <laughs> uh, how do I say this? An, an interesting uh, disapproval of what's going on because an organization that could be more responsibly representing good and decent people has basically stopped doing that. Yeah, no, I fully understand what you're saying. I I actually, uh, I spoke with a friend of mine. Um, I I grew up like, like you in a predominantly, I grew up in Lodi and and when I, when I grew up in the, you know, in the seventies and eighties, it was, it, it was white. It was a, predominantly white town and um where i grew up there was one black family that lives in our neighborhood and you know i grew up with them and i spoke with with my friend who you know he's a little bit younger than me but we grew up in the same town basically the same time and you know i always had like i always had my view of it and i figured his view couldn't be much different than mine you know right yeah but you know we, we talked you know it's, it was it was different for him you know uh, yeah. it was it wasn't you know, it, it wasn't horrible, but you know, n- nonetheless, it was, it was different, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I was naive to it growing up, you know, we, cause we didn't look at anybody differently, you know, yeah. and uh, never thought about it back then, you know, with your kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's just my friend, you know, and uh, yeah, exactly. Friend, friend first and, and fill in the rest after. So moving forward, what do we do, man? what's what's your take on how we can move forward because i I, i've said a few things you know in in talking like you know i thought it would be it would be a good first step for the police to reach out to the some of these communities and say hey listen let's have a rally together you know to to show that you know we're part of this community you're part of this community and you know our, our goal is here to 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 be part of the community not to um you know be an enemy of the community you know, it's funny that you say that because one of the, uh, it wasn't really our mission statement, but the slogan that I, I actually had the honor of being able to develop for, for my former police department was 
a part of, not a part from the community. And what's interesting about that is Long Branch, which is where I live. I, I was chief in West Long Branch and, and Susie and I live in, in Long Branch. Long Branch years ago had done exactly what you just said. And now because of the community connections and the dialogue, not monologue, but the dialogue between every facet of life in Long Branch. Long Branch is one of the few communities who, during all of this, hasn't had a violent incident related to the protests and et cetera, because the leadership of the police department, because the police are kind of in focus right now with all the, the uh, community relations, the police department has has taken the initiative and maintained the initiative to really nurture and 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 not for not for political reasons either they do it because it's for the best reason because it's the right thing to do they work with the the community leaders and and conversely uh i was on a, a call recently where some of the community leaders people of color in long branch who are articulate and and wise people they too have done a lot of work and again, it goes back to dialogue, Richard, because what I'm seeing a lot now isn't dialogue. Mm -hmm. Dialogue is you say something, I say something, we think about what was said, we move to the next issue. That's not what's happening. I'm seeing monologue. I'm seeing preaching and speeches and and that doesn't that doesn't do anything except, you know, it's what's that meme that we we see all the time, you know, people don't want to hear your opinion, they want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. That's not dialogue, you know. I mean, you, you, you see it too. I mean, a lot of people who are friends of mine on Facebook are from, from every corner of the, of the political spectrum. And every once in a while they spar and everything else, but as even as nasty as it gets, sometimes they're talking to each other, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Well, uh, one of the things I say all the time is, um, you'll notice a lot of times when I say, I, I don't say I want to talk to you. I say, I want to talk with you. Yes. Even when you see people having a, a dialogue, a lot of times it's me telling you what I think, you telling me what you think, me telling you why you're wrong, you telling me why I'm wrong. And <laughs> and that goes no place. Nobody understands each other. Absolutely. And, and we need to just like listen to each other. Yep. Like you said, take it in, think about it. Yep. And you need to be willing to change your mind on something. And, and Absolutely. Everyone's, everyone's just so solid in their opinions these days. It's like... You know the other thing, you know the old adage that, what is it, you praise in public and you discipline in private or punish in private, whatever. I think a lot of what's going on right now is that when people get called out in public about something, they have a tendency to want to defend themselves, even if they, even if they know they're wrong. And as a, as a society and a culture, I would love to see us evolve away from that. When I, it's funny that we're talking about this because I remember when I, when I made chief, one of the best comments that I heard, which was, was kind of this, this, our, the, the town attorney was famous for, for his humor and the swearing me and his chief. And one of the things that he said was he, he doesn't know that he's ever known anybody that's as self-deprecating as I am. And, and, and he kind of meant that as a, as a humor and like a joke. But one of the things I really got good at was if I made a mistake, I own up to it quickly. Because if you think about it, sooner or later, if you make a mistake, either somebody's going to find out or you're going to have to pay for it anyway. So it's a hell of a lot more efficient if you just say early on, oh, shit, I just, I, I screwed up. Sorry. 
but let's move on uh, and and throw in there how can i do better and ask the other person you know nobody wants to do that now it seems like nobody wants to say you know oh you're right i i shouldn't have done that what what's you what's your take on on how i could do better next time a, a lot of times when you see whether it's celebrities politicians whatever it may be they'll come out with a statement and say something and then they'll get jumped on for it, like, whoa, what are you saying? <laughs> and then, then they'll come back and they'll apologize for it. And whether it's sincere or not, yep. the people who agreed with their original statement are like, what the hell is he apologizing for? You know, he didn't say, you know, it's like, whether it's a sincere apology or not, you know, it's, yep. it, it goes back to what you're saying. If you, if you make a mistake, you know, you'll live up to it and you, and you learn from it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, I, it, we started this thing we're, we're talking about, you know, you, I, happy birthday, Rich, you know, but <laughs> I, I just turned 61. And, and what I think is, it, this fascinates me about life. You never stop learning ever, 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 ever. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, you might've seen it. I, I posted a tribute to him. A good friend of mine recently died. He was a hundred years old. At a hundred years old, he wasn't done learning and he would lo he loved it. He loved learning something new. And, and I think we, if we all go back to that too, and, and allow ourselves to to learn from, from all sorts of things and, and to evolve. And, and, but by the way, to do it incrementally, you know, that's the other thing with the so-called cancel culture right now, rather than move in a general direction in the right direction. They just, oh yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of arms getting amputated because of hangnails. Yeah. So it's just do it, do it slowly and, and create a situation where you're learning to not do something, not because somebody threatens you, but because you learned that it's the right thing to do. And it's just, you wouldn't think of it. You know, there are a lot of things that I did when I was younger that today I wouldn't even think of it. Yeah. And it's not because somebody punched me in the face. It was, I, I learned as, as time went on, that's counterproductive, that's hurtful, that's uh, mean, uh, you know, on, you just, you, if you let those things fall off from allowing yourself to go through a, a learning experience, which is what life is, is one big, one big friggin' seminar, Rich. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, not, none of us are the same person we were basically 10 or 20 years ago. At least, right. we should, at least we shouldn't be. You know, yeah. we, we should be constantly evolving. And you know what? I, I had opinions 20 years ago that the, the, the me of today looks at and says, I, I don't understand why I ever thought that way. Absolutely. You know? and, and you need to be able to actually make that change and not be, not be crucified for, for changing your opinion on something as well. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. that's another thing right now. Someone changes their opinion. They're like, look, flip flopping. Yep. You know, maybe learning and growing, you know? Yeah. And like I said, but, I know I know everybody doesn't do this for the right reason. Some people just do it to appease the masses or whatever. But absolutely, you know. Regardless, I mean. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, but doing what you're doing right now, Rich, is part of the solution. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And I know for me personally, by talking to a lot of different people on these subjects, it it helps me understand. I'm trying to figure a way. And, and granted, you know, this is on such a, a small scale. Ways to to bring what's the solution? You know, aside from what we've already talked about, as far as the solution goes. Yeah. I ironically, I think that sometimes when the momentum subsides a little bit is when people start to calm down and when people calm down, regardless of like we were saying before, on which, in which corner of the ring you're in, if things start to calm down is that's when people, not just you and me and Andre, but people in positions of leadership and responsibility have a tendency to want to approach their perceived adversaries and come 
to some kind of agreement, you know, and I, and unfortunately I haven't, <laughs> the, I know I haven't seen the momentum slow down at all yet. Well, I think the reason behind that is every time I'm just going by what I can remember. Okay. Every time there's an incident, right. And you know, a rally will pop up, which eventually turns into a lot of times, unfortunately it turns into like somewhat of a riot. I don't want to mm-hmm. use the word riot because I don't think that's an appropriate word for mm-hmm. it. Usually what happens is it'll happen for a day, a weekend, and then it stops and then right. it goes back to business as usual. I, right. I think it's at a point now where it's like, you know what, we've talked about this so many times and you know, we, we, we do our protest and we protest for a weekend and then, you know, it's just business as usual and everyone just forgets. And I think right. now it's to, it's to a point now where they're saying, you know what, we're not going to stop until there's actually some kind of a change or some kind of a dialogue and some kind of a, a, a motion in the direction mm-hmm. we, we think things should be going. And, and I can't, I can't say that that's wrong because if, you know, if you, if you just, Hey, listen, you know, you're treating me wrong and you walk away and then, all right, well, and then, you know, if I come to you every day and say, Hey dude, you're treating me wrong. Hey dude, you're treating me wrong. Right. You're, you're more likely to say, I'm sorry. What can I do to treat you better? Right. And, well, and, I, think, and I think that's why it's not stopping at this point. But what, what, uh, there's a couple observations I have about that. First of all, it's, uh, if, Let's use, let's use an example. I, I, um, I, you and I have a phone call yesterday and you say something I don't like, so I hang up on you. That was kind of an immature thing to do, right? Not a, not a good thing to do. We should, con- let, all right, Rich, let's calm down. And we'll start talking about blah, blah, blah. Instead, I hang up. Next day, I call you back and I'm like, Rich, you know what? I was out of line. Shouldn't have done that. Sorry. I, I shouldn't have hung up on you. If that's sincere and if a week or two goes by and I don't do it. Why should I have to call you every day and apologize for hanging up on you, you know, that one time. So it's, it's, and then the other thing that occurs to me about the whole thing is the, the extent of the response of, of what's going on right now has gotten way out of control. We've gone from police need to be more accountable for what they do. And it, you know, in the, in the case of, of, of certain kinds of incidents, they may even need to be arrested and charged and dismissed and go to prison and, and all, all of this kind of thing. And with very few exceptions, just about everybody in law enforcement in significant roles anyway, gave the nod to all that. They said, okay, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we're going to look at these things more aggressively. We're going to take a more aggressive stance. We're going to fire officers if need, they need to be fired, which of course was happening anyway, charge them criminally, uh, which uh, if you know anything about criminal law, sometimes the, the intricacies of, of criminal law, it's hard to, to charge somebody criminally sometimes in, in certain cases uh, because of intent, you know. It's, it's, of course. So, but anyway, so we've gone from that to, you know, people in, in law enforcement and, and taking steps too, by the way, everybody from, even though some of them I don't think too much of, you know, governors and attorney generals and prosecutors and police chiefs and all these people have taken these steps. Now this, the surge that's going on has gone from, well, we need more control over the police to, we need to defund them. We need to disband them. We need to destroy the entire criminal justice system because it's racist. And we do, so we're, because we identified a couple of cracks in the foundation, we're going to take down the entire house, the 
mm-hmm. pull out the foundation. In fact, we're going to obliterate the whole block. You know, it, it's just, when is that going to stop? You know, I mean, that's what I mean about movements being hijacked. You know, the the, the core issue of racism ha- is, is like been left way in the dust in the background. Now it's like, well, we need to destroy everything that we can possibly get our hands on that in our minds gave rise to this in the first place. And that includes, you know, the government and the judicial system and, and on and on and on. And it just, it's, it's gotten way out of control, you know, okay. which again, I mean, it, it dilutes a lot of things. To do that, to, to, to leave the core and precious issue involved here way in the dust is a huge disservice to that cause. Yeah. You know, I say this about the word racism anymore because everything is racist now. The, the term racist or racism and everything doesn't mean anything anymore because we've, it, it, it now it applies to everything from breakfast cereal to you know a, a house plan everything everything is is racist and that being one of the most egregious aspects of human conduct we've done that a tremendous disservice by basically neutering the meaning of the term you know and and again I mean it's because people don't know when to stop they don't know when to say all right enough is enough you know that's not you know when you and I I mean you're only a little bit younger than me yeah. <laughs> but when you and I were growing up I, I don't know whether you remember this we I don't remember hearing that word when we were kids it was prejudiced Remember? Prejudice, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was pre- oh, that prejudice and prejudice and prejudice. But now all of a sudden, you know, the, the term racism becomes not only a, a popular term to fling around, but it's flailed at so many things now that it's just in, in a manner that doesn't even apply to what we're talking about. I think that's awful. I mean, we've damaged a, a, a vital word and term in, in our language to the point where it, it's, it doesn't mean it. You can only cry wolf so many times before people won't come anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they've been through a cultural appropriation in there as a, as a thing, too, where, say, if, um, if, if like a white person gets dreadlocks or if someone from one culture takes something from another culture, they call it cultural appropriation and that's been frowned upon it's like obviously i like this about that culture and that's why i you know why isn't a bad thing but uh that's something that like has popped up over the last few years too Ay, ay, ay. No more green on St. Patrick's Day, I guess. That's well, it's cultural appropriation. appropriation so. right. well, let, me ask, let me ask you another question. First of all, I don't even know what defund the police. I don't even know what that means. I, I really don't because... It depends on who you ask. Exactly. But, <laughs> but from, from, from another view, I think in a lot of cases, the police are asked to do certain things that I don't think they're equipped to do. Now, granted, when you go into a situation, you you can't, like, if you have someone who's dealing with mental illness and they're kind of irate, obviously you can't send a psychologist to sit down and say, oh, Bob, relax, everything's going to be okay. It's a dangerous situation. But generally speaking, do you think police officers are equipped to deal with a lot of situations like that where it's kind of it's kind of touchy you know it's funny that you say that because when i went to the police academy back in 1982 we uh we had to take a psychology course in the police academy now i unlike a lot of my uh, i shouldn't say a lot unlike some of my peers then i had i came into police work with a four-year degree which was not normal then because among other things, it wasn't required. You weren't even required to have a two-year degree when yeah. when I got hired. But you know, the agreement on my family was that you know if you if, if you're going to become a cop, uh, you're going to go to college first. And of course, the secret hope was that I wasn't going to become a cop. I was going to go to college, learn better, and become something else. So there are attempts at equipping 
the police with the tools, and I don't necessarily mean physical tools, to perform the duties that have been handed to them. And the reason I put it that way is I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that the reason that police are asked to do all kinds of stuff that really doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with police work is because they're the only ones there. A lot of people forget that. You know, a lot of times when, when people, it, it happened, Richard, it happened to me for almost 40 years because, I mean, I was, a, I was a cop even before I started in the department where I re- retired as chief. I was asked many, many, many times to do things that really had nothing to do with law enforcement. It had to do with, and, and this is a concept that I think a lot of people too also forget, enforcing the law is only a small part of what a police officer does on a day-to-day and even an hourly basis. The real thing that they do is they perform public service. And I think a lot of people, if they really looked at all the little tiny things that, that cops do on a daily basis that have nothing to do with law enforcement, they'd have a greater appreciation for the hows and whys of what they do. And, and I know, because I was up to my red, white, and blue eyes in it for a long time. And I love that. The stuff that we were asked to do, I actually got a big kick out of doing it. You know, not, not just locking people up and throwing bad guys in the back of the police car. I mean, it was a lot of the stuff that I was asked to do. I really loved doing it because I really came in touch, uh, became very much comfortable with knowing that and liking that I, that I worked for the people, you know? Yeah. So, but again, I mean, it's like three o'clock in the morning. The only one around to, to, to handle something is that cop that's on duty, you know, and that's how it happens. Uh, and, and again, from a police perspective, you know, there's always a lot of right now, there's a lot of, oh, my God, with the social workers, you know, call a social worker instead of a cop. I can't tell you how many times when I was a cop, I would have loved to there had been a social worker to come and take over because they're actually trained to do those kind of things. However, one of the things that happens on a very, very regular basis that a lot of people don't understand is that sometimes in order for a situation or an incident to evolve to a point for it to be safe for a social worker, EMS worker, firefighter, et cetera, to come in and do their job, the cops got to go and calm things down first because calming things down is not always, you know, getting down on a knee and begging somebody to stop doing what they're doing. Sometimes it's, you have to literally pull people apart. And then once everything is calmed down and that guy's sitting over there and that guy's sitting over there now, all right, fine. Now the social worker or whatever, or the, the fire or domestic situations are a perfect example where all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do with guys that, that are carrying Glock 19s, all kinds of stuff happen at a domestic that could very well use the assistance of people who are not law enforcers, whether it be social workers and unfortunately, predominantly EMS, you know, emergency medical service people. But sometimes you got to send the troops in to defuse things first. And then, and if you, and this whole defunding thing, if that means that you're going to take the take money away from the police to give it to somebody else. So there aren't enough cops to go there to be, to, to, to stabilize the situation first. You can't just, you know, I think it's irresponsible to expect people like who are, who are very good at their jobs as, as being clinical social workers, but they're not in the position of, nor should they be put in the position of having to pull two, 300 pound guys apart so that they can do their job. You know? So when I was growing up, you know, you're, we, we were taught, you know, you have problems, look for a policeman, right? Policemen, right. you know, they're here to serve the community are here to help you you look for you look for the police car you look for the policemen police cars were predominantly black and white cars you know in Lodi we had a stretch where all the cars were painted white and yeah. you know it you was had, for money yeah. by the way what's that that was done because it was cheaper 
Yeah, probably, right? All the white. They just order them white instead of paint them black and white. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. Big thing on the side, low light police, right? Or police yep. or whatever. Yep. The serve and protect was on the back always. And you had big lights on top. So you can spot that police car from a mile away. Right now, <laughs> can't tell a police car from a regular car. What do you mean? Because of the low profile cars? Well, it seems like they all are now. It's like the police on the side is in like, you know, ghost shadow and... All the lights are hidden, and I, Rich, I couldn't agree with you more. I could not. I, you know, this is a personal thing for me. You know, and probably a lot of cops, if they're going to listen to this, they're going to say, "Ah, screw him." <laughs> I, um, I never. The, the, the there's a, a couple of terms that are used to refer to those cars. Some of them call them slick top cars because they don't they put the light bar on the roof. Of course, light bars are all of about three inches tall now, so. Yeah. I don't know what the big difference is, but so they take the, they take the light bar off and sometimes, like you say, they paint it all one color or they paint it all one color and then they put the word police on it, but it's the same color as the rest of the car. Mm-hmm. So you can't see it. I, I may be old fashioned, but I don't like that either. I agree. I remember with fondness the days when you could look and there's the police car. There's a perception. I had a young cop that worked with me. I was kind of famous for catching people in the act when I was working. And I had a young cop come up to me and I did it all the way up. I guess I was a lieutenant or a captain even when I was still doing that. But I had a young cop come up to me and he goes, you know, the reason you catch those guys is because you, you, uh, you have an unmarked car. And I said, no, that's because I don't go where the bad guy was i go where he is going so there's a perception and a lot of a lot of younger cops especially love these unmarked cars and everything because they love the concept of sneaking up on people and and then there's certainly a call for that in law enforcement you know undercover cars unmarked cars absolutely low profile cars but i have a lot for i have a lot you know i'll bring up another thing you probably have thought about there's a program where law enforcement agencies can get former military equipment like military vehicles and stuff either cheap or free you know, so my department got a, a Humvee, Humber, Hummer, you know, it's not really a Hummer, it's a Humvee. It's a yeah. And then uh, what's referred to as a deuce and a half, which is one of those big military trucks. And one of the first things I did when I became chief was go out to the parking lot and say, get rid of that and get rid of that. And the reason I did it wasn't because I, I disagree with the whole, because I mean, really, if it, it, that old saying, you know, if it's free, it's for me. You know, there's a lot of people who are attracted to that. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Especially when I was a chief, I, I, I got very much in touch with the taxpayers give me a finite amount of money to run this police department. And what I used to say all the time is they gave me $10 to run a $20 police department. So I, I'm already behind the eight ball as far as money goes. And the money that it takes to maintain stuff that you're not going to use all the time, for me, wasn't worth it. So I was like, nope, because the, the Humvee leaked. It wasn't like all the other vehicles in the fleet. The, the truck, one of the guys drove it into a high water, high water situation and the fan blades disintegrated. Nobody knew how to fix it. It would have cost all kinds of money. So I'm like, why don't we have these things anyway? So off they go. So, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with me with the with the cars, I, I have a couple of issues with it because you know if 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 you want to go with the whole serve and protect, you don't right. need to you you really don't need to sneak up on people, right? You the presence should be you know not a secret presence, you know. Not as a general rule, you're right. There are times when you got to do it. But. I agree. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. But gen- generally speaking, you know, be present. You know, don't be lurking, absolutely don't be lurking in the shadows. The other reason I have I have a little bit of an issue with it is because not not that it's uh, a, an overwhelming 
problem, but you do have the issues where sometimes on on a, a, a dark road, you know, you'll have someone trying to, you know, pull over somebody and it's not really a cop, right? Yep. So how, how would I know that that's even a cop pulling me over, you know? Yep. And, and it, it, it takes away that obviousness of it, you know? Yep. And, well, and having a young daughter who drives, you know. Yep. I, mean, I agree. Just, I, know. I agree. I, I think, like I said, I mean, there are a lot of people who think that my agreeing with you <laughs> is, <laughs> is archaic. But uh, I don't. I think, I mean, one of, one of my favorite examples, you ever see a British police car? Um, yeah, I'm sure I have. It's uh, not black and white. I mean, it might as well be Paisley, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> like there's checkerboards and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff. So, you know, and they, they too, they have unmarked cars for concentrated and focused reasons. And I, and I agree with that. You know, one of the reasons that I, I had an unmarked car is because it was cheaper. You know, you, you don't, if I'm a chief and, or a captain or a lieutenant or whatever it is, and I have to go somewhere and I'm got, and you know, when you get into administrative responsibilities, a lot of times you're doing things that have really nothing to do with police work. You do, you're going to meetings and doing all kinds of managerial things. So for that, I mean, you don't really need to ride around to, so somebody can run and come running up to you. But of course I, I did a lot of the same things when I was chief anyway, but, but for the, for the guy whose job it is or girl whose job it is, is to patrol around and be available and let people see him. And, and really it goes back to, I don't know whether you know this, but one of the reasons for, for marking a police car is uh, in the first place is that not either there was, there was a time when there were, there were no radios and no telephones. So you needed to be able to, you know, if you see a, a police car and it's marked as a police car, you can actually even flag it down because you didn't have a cell phone or there wasn't a phone, or there was not even a radio that sent the car there. You know, the, the historically police cars, you know, they would, they would patrol and then they would stop every once in a while at a call box and pick up a phone and say, what do you have, anything going on? And then they would tell you where to go because the, the radios hadn't been put in the cars. And not because they hadn't been invented, but because they were too big to go in the car. Anyway. I just want to go back to the race conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought of something that my, my, another thing that my friend had said to me when we were having our conversation and just get your take on it. We grew up together in the same town, a um, couple years apart. He, one of the things he said to me was, you know, when we were growing up, you were taught to respect the police. I was taught to fear the police. And that kind of like, it, it, struck a, it struck a little bit with me because I never really thought much about that. I acknowledge that that is the case in many circumstances. And I, I think that's horrible. I take solace though in the fact that that's not universally the case, you know, because there are a lot, of, a lot of young people who grew up in, you know, in black communities who, who didn't do that. And I think one of the reasons is, I mean, think about this, and, and also this begs a whole other branch of the conversation, but there are plenty of places where the cop isn't a, a white guy. So even if, even, if you're a, uh, even if you're a young black person and you see a black police officer, you, you want, you're going to fear them. Why? Because you've been told well, it's a that- uniform. It's a uniform. Right. Not but, the person. Which is you know, sad. You know, first of all, that anybody would be taught that and that anyone would feel necessary, feel it necessary to teach that too. You know, I mean, even it begs another example. How many times over the years in my tenure in law enforcement did I hear a parent say, point to me as a cop and say, see, that's a policeman. If you do something bad, he's going to come get you. You know, it, sometimes I would smile like, 
or make a face at the kid like no but uh no i agree that's a horrible thing to tell a kid because then they're gonna gonna be afraid yeah because it kind of it goes it goes back to talking about you know then then why would we want to mark police car if it's going to scare people (laughs) no you're right of course you know somewhere in the middle is the truth you know but you know the the branch of the conversation that i was i was going to tell you about was i would love to see more getting back to our, our affiliation with like the entertainment industry i would love to see more well done responsibly done iconic cop shows where the hero is a black guy or a girl and and not have the predominant theme of the show to be racism either either and i'll tell you why i say it that way is when i was growing up in police work some of my mentors my heroes were black police officers, icons. I mean, incredible people, some of whom I I know to this day who are thankfully still around, who uh, were admired by their peers, white peers, to the point where, again, I mean, what color they were absolutely didn't matter. It, it wasn't even part of the equation. I mean, they were captain whoever or detective whoever, or, because a lot, I think a lot of people in, in our culture today take some of their examples from fiction. If the entertainment industry stepped up to the plate and did something like that and give people on a, on a variety of levels, not the least of which is on, on the call I was on the other day, there, one of the things that was discussed was there's a, a, a glaring absence of qualified candidates for police job, police jobs who are people of color. And I think what's going on right now isn't going to help it, believe it or not, because it's going to make it worse. I mean, why would somebody in, in the in the in the black community want to become a cop if now the accentuation is that the entire business is is corrupt and wrong and evil and racist? And, you know, we're, we're going in the opposite direction by doing that. But so if we if we take it and we say no, you can be you can not only be a, a part of this, but you can be one of the heroes to bring it into the twenty first and twenty second centuries. Make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In a in a real and tangible way by not just by standing outside wagging your finger at it but getting in there and doing something about it i'd love to see that you know and you know it's funny you know what i think about you remember john fisher the no, actor no he worked on a couple things with you and i i think about him he's a he's a former cop too oh jay yeah yep yeah 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 yep. yeah i got you yep. I, yep. I, I i never heard the full name yep. <laughs> i mean honestly let, let's get on the phone and give him his own series. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. th- imagine that. I mean, because it's it's a, if if somebody did that, it would be a more accurate depiction of what law enforcement is all about. You know, yeah. not just you know. One of my favorite shows recently was Bosch. I don't know whether you saw that. Nah, it was, I don't, it was I don't probably watch it on TV. <laughs> pro- probably one of the probably one of the best. Uh, police shows ever done really but i was just telling Susie the other day really what i would like to see is a black bosch take this character who's strong and forthright and does what does the right thing in the face of adversity and da, 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 da. don't make it all about racism make it about he's a person in a difficult job doing a doing the right thing and a good thing sometimes at tremendous personal cost wow what a show i'd watch it yeah absolutely <laughs> maybe absolutely. if we're lucky rich you and i'll be in it yeah right. <laughs> how were you? How were you on a call the other day? What, what are you doing? What do you mean the? You, you, what did you do? You said you uh, you work. You you had some. Uh, you film something or? Well, I'm doing um, for people who are listening to this. You know, grinding their teeth, wondering who the hell I am. In addition to being a retired cop, I'm an actor, and that's how I know you. And uh, so, but and a lot of my a lot of my uh, acting has been on crime reconstruction shows on 
investigation discovery. And recently I have, they've actually brought me in as a paid expert as a former law enforcement officer, former police chief. And that's, so as all my, my poor actor friends have like their, their jobs have basically dried up because of pandemic. Me, here I am living on a, on a police pension. I, uh, I, I'm working now. I mean, I'm doing so, and I feel terrible about that really, because, you know, I'm looking at all these tremendously talented actors that you and I have worked with and they're not, they're not doing anything. So, but as I'm doing that, I'm also, uh, Jeremiah Kipp, who is, uh, one of my most treasured friends in the, in the industry. He's a, he's a director and his real love is horror movies and things, but I've worked with him lots and lots and lots of times and he, he and I become good friends, but he and, and some other filmmakers in New York <clears throat> have done pandemic films. So basically what they'll do is <clears throat> they get a writer to, to, to craft a really good script and then they'll send the sides out to the actors to do, to self-shoot their film uh, their scenes and then they edit it all together into a film and uh matter of fact one of the ones i did with jeremiah was nominated for an award and it's and it's interesting because you know you and i know that normal normally when you're on a tv or, or a movie set you know the there's there's a there's more crew than there is talent so-called yeah, it's talent. Most, mostly crew yeah yeah but uh it's the opposite with these things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just you, the actor, and maybe like Susie filmed me for a couple of them, but, uh, but usually it's just you. You'd say, you know, the old self tape audition, self tape auditions have become fodder for these films. Now I've done, I've done a few general, uh, self tapes. My biggest hindrance over the last couple of years has been the fact that I joined the union. Oh, me too. And, uh, that, that's, that's had like a pretty big damper on the amount of work I've been doing, but uh, I did some general like, uh, self tapes for, right. so hopefully, when when things clear up you know for for a couple of you know tv shows i did um i did self-tapes for them and hopefully when all this clears up and we start working again one of those people will give me a call and say hey listen we got your tape and that's the hope you know well me personally i love your characterizations i mean you're you're really and i'm not just saying this you're one of my favorite actors you know it's just yeah. you're I you're somebody it, who yeah it, it's i i say this all the time about my favorite actors you know you're one of those actors who you know, you could just sit there and read a soup label and I would think it was interesting. I appreciate that, man. I, I really do. I, I, I really do. It means a lot to me, actually. I've been trying to work on it lately. I think I've come a long way since the last time you've seen me, too, because I've been putting a lot of effort into it. And uh, I've been working. You know, you know Vince Curatolo? No. Are you a Sopranos fan at all? No, actually, no, I'm not. I should okay. be. I'm well, from New he, Jersey. Jesus, you know. Yeah, right. Well, he, he, he played... Uh, he he played one of the main characters in the, in the Sopranos, and, and I've been working with him a lot over the last like almost couple of years now. So I, I've developed so much more from the last time we've worked together, but I just haven't had much opportunity. Um, you know, a big part of that was joining the union, and I don't yeah. have an agent. So, but once all this clears up, hopefully I can start making some better moves in the right direction. You know, it's funny. I, you know that that I. I kind of resisted joining the union for years and I had to join last fall because, because ironically, because of being a, in a, uh, one of Jeremiah's horror films. But I always said that I used to like being a big fish in a little pond as opposed to a little fish in a big pond, which is kind of like, that's what being in the union is now about, you know, and they're, and they're all trying to kill each other over roles too. So, oh yeah, but eh, whatever. You're still you're still able to do the uh, ID discovery the I- ID stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends because see the the, <laughs> the caveat 
is I'm not, they're paying me now to not, I'm not actually being a performer well, yeah. right now. I'm just, I'm a paid expert. So it has nothing to do with, you know, I'm not, I'm not acting. So, so. I think that's what, that's what kept me off of ID. Um, Cause when yeah. I, when I reached out to your friend, you know, yep. I had to put on it that I was SAG and, and, right. and I know every, everybody I know who works on those shows, none of them are in the union. So, yep. well, you know, I'm hoping that the, the, re, the, the rebound from the pandemic is going to be significant enough that we, not only you and I, but I mean, a lot of a lot of actors are going to be able to get back in there, and, and not just the actors. I mean, the crew. I mean, like yeah. I, I know you and I are, are alike in. Uh, I love the crew as much as I love the you know the talent that, yeah. that I work with because you know they're just they're fascinating people. And, and if you think about it, there would be no you know Rich and Larry and on the screen if not for the people who do yeah. all the stuff they do in the first place. yeah i spend most of my time when i'm on different sets talking to crew members more, yep. more, way more than other actors so oh yeah well, i appreciate you taking your time to talk with me well i'm honored really i mean yeah. your your voice and the way you do what you do is part of the solution i'm trying man i do my I best <laughs> all right man have a great weekend i'll talk all to right. you soon you too rich peace all right, thank you for taking your time to listen to this episode. I really appreciate it. As always, don't forget to check out our sponsors, Sabjits Soap Company, at Sabjit Soap Co. on Facebook and Instagram, and Tara's Natural Body Products, at Tara's Natural Soap on Facebook, and at Tara's Naturals on Instagram. Peace.